Welcome to Today on Broadway for Friday, November 9th, 2018. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. James, uh, we are recording, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, for the second time today on Thursday, yet I am a thousand miles away from where I was when we recorded the first time. That is true. Uh, we've done two uh, two show days this week. That's uh, a... I'm, I'm sorry. I don't mean. I don't mean to correct you on air, but that's two doches is the correct <laughs> theater pronunciation. Oh my God! That's just bananas. <laughs> yes, something is that 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 ish is bananas. B a n a n a s. <laughs> Can you imagine at the at the party tonight? Uh, it's Thursday evening. Uh, we're recording about ten ten p.m. Uh, at the. Uh, at the King Kong opening party, uh, you think there's a lot of banana dishes on the menu oh. or banana opening night presents giving back and forth to each other? Did they bring the 20-foot, uh, $35 million ape to the party? Uh, well, interestingly enough— like the Stanley enough, Cup. Do they get to pass it around? Well, Kong, or whatever we're calling him, the ape received a very large bouquet of flowers at the curtain call last night uh, at the opening night of King Kong, the musical on Broadway. And if they had, say, a banana cream pie, that that is my favorite dessert. Yeah. I'm also quite partial to banana flavored runts and Laffy Taffy, um, anything like that. So I'm all in on the banana desserts, um, whatever they might be. Bananas Foster, though, not a huge fan because it's got the yeah, rum in there. Yeah, the rum in there. Yeah. So anyway. So if King Kong tours throughout uh, the southern – you're not What? Not touring. But but if eventually it tours or go or has a sit down production in this southern part of the United States or through some of the uh, Central American countries, uh, w- would they have uh, plantains? <laughs> Very well could be, James. Okay. Very well could be. Yes. All right. So tell me, Matt, did the critics go bananas for King bananas. Kong? Bananas. Bananas. Um, <laughs> apples and bananas. Um, so. This weirdness that we had to start the show is kind of the weirdness from the reviews, James. Yeah. As as we mentioned, King Kong the Musical opened on Broadway at the Broadway Theater last night. The cast is led by Christiana Pitts, Eric William Morris, and Eric Lochtefeld. The script is written by Harry Potter and the Cursed Child's Jack Thorne with a score by Marius DeVries, who he wrote – what I guess is kind of like the the sound, what would be the equivalent of the soundtrack, the underscoring and all of that kind of stuff. The songs themselves were written by Eddie Perfect, who is also represented by Beetlejuice in Washington, D.C., which also did not get very good reviews. Um, Drew McOney directed and choreographed the show. And James, I'll have my own thoughts here in a second. But normally we, we started recording a little bit late because – we wanted to see what the New York Times said. And James, I made this prediction kind of jokingly, but Miss Cleo was on her game <laughs> because the New York Times did not have a single reviewer review King Kong. Instead, they had Ben Brantley and Jesse Green do a chit chat about their thoughts about the show. Um, I will just I'm not going to get into it because it's very conversational. But the headline for the New York Times review is King Kong is the mess that roared in their first comments. Ben Brantley called it spirit crushing. 
And when Brantley asked Jesse Green to sum up the show in one word, Green said, quote, it can't be printed here. And I'm not even sure it's one word, but it starts with ape. (laughs) And the second part, I'm just going to go and fill in the blank for him is shit. um, If you weren't sure about that. So that's what uh, called it that. Yes, we're going to get to uh, Adam Feldman is yeah. next. I didn't include that part. Uh, but Adam Feldman of Time Out New York gave the show two out of five stars, which isn't awful. Uh, I mean, it's not good, but it, it could be worse. <laughs> that's a 40 um, if you're in, if you're taking a test in school. That's a 40 percent, you know. So. I could be, could be worse. I can prove it. Um, anyway, uh, Adam Feldman said, quote, the truly frustrated, frustrating thing about King Kong is the waste of it all. Why did this story, whose central figure necessarily cannot sing, need to be a musical at all, much less one that suggests a late run Simpsons parody? Have the success of Warhorse and Thorne's own Harry Potter and the Cursed Child and the belly flops of Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark and Cirque du Soleil's Paramore taught us nothing? King Kong... The show looks down on its huckster villain, film director Carl, played by Eric William Morris, um, for taking an awesome creature and surrounding it with mediocrity for a gawking New York audience. But that's exactly what this production does itself. In the sad eyes of the second act's chained and stooped Kong, you see flickers of a show that might have been. Very well said. That was one of my biggest points uh, that I thought of after seeing the show. Alexis Solosky, who wrote for this time for The Guardian, said, quote, It's bountifully clear from the first forgettable lyrics to the last gratuitous lines that no hominid involved in this glitzy shambles has any idea what to do with him, the ape. As a feat of stagecraft and structural engineering, Kong is cool, a creature with the delts of a prizefighter, the potbelly of a toddler, a possible addiction to crest white strips, and the ex- this is where it gets fun. And the external genitalia of a Ken doll, the he is provisional, she says. I thought about, I, I actually thought about this while I watched the show as well. Um, he is brought to animatronic life by the King's Company, a troop of 10 black clad puppeteers who tug this marionette strings in some version of a maypole dance and four voodoo operators who control his facial expressions from a booth at the back of the theater. Put it all together and you have a double decker bus who looks like he's lost badly at beer pong. He's uh, it's unlikely he'll sign at the stage door. So um, I, I, when I saw the show, James, and I think I might have told you this off air, I went in with, as we've talked about many, many times here, incredibly excited to see this puppet. Now, I don't know if I got my expectations raised so high or I watched those New York Times videos that we talked about so many times, but I was underwhelmed and disappointed by Kong the ape. Yes, it's impressive. Yes, it's awesome. I loved watching the puppeteers literally fly around on ropes to make this thing move. But when you have a two-story ape, and the whole point of this is that he is fearsome and dangerous and scary, but then he moves at a literal snail's pace because, of course, he's not a real ape and people actually have to move him, it's underwhelming. They, they In my opinion, they chose some really bad ways to highlight his ferocity instead of doing things that would have shown just how fast and how powerful he is. They decided to do everything in slow motion with a windows 98 screensaver behind him. And it looked just really cheesy and really bad. Like the worst parts of an, of a, of a, of an MCG or Stan Lee action movie. And it really undermined the power and the, the, the strength of what that ape is. Conversely, 
I actually didn't mind the show itself. It's not a good show, but it's not nearly as bad as what I thought it was going to be. I thought the projections were, for the most part, about 80% phenomenal. I thought they were great. I thought the staging was really good. I thought the choreography was actually really interesting. I don't think they really settled on a theme properly, but I appreciated what they did. And I and I made this note, and I don't know I, – I didn't see anyone mention it in any of the reviews, James. But when you see it, I think you're going to see it here in the next week or so, and I hope people who are listening see it. What's interesting is n- numerous times from the beginning of the show through the end of the show, there are no real romantic songs in this whole show. But oftentimes men and women partner in dancing. But almost every time that happens, you see men partnering with other men doing the exact same dance moves, whether those are lifts um, or or any other kind of partnering choreography. It was really interesting to me that, again, it's not romantic, so it wasn't necessarily an LGBTQ thing. But they said, if a man and a woman can do this choreography together, why can't two men do it? And and I thought that was really interesting. But overall, I enjoyed the show more than I thought I would but for the exact opposite reasons that I expected to do it. Hmm. So, uh, all right. Well, I, I think that I see this next week. I'm not sure, but uh, I, I'm, you know, I, I did see this uh, Walking with Dinosaurs uh, show mm-hmm. that at Madison Square Garden a few years back uh, with my children. Um, and this is the same group of people who, who produced that are producing King Kong and using the same sort of technology. So and the Walking with Dinosaurs was pretty impressive. So I'm surprised that it's, it's not gotten better. But I'll, I'll give you a full report back uh, pretty soon. And uh, I guess uh, we'll, see, we'll see if this catches on, if they're going to do uh, a massive marketing push and uh, – well, here, here, here's a pool quote for you. Jesse Green apparently wants Margaritaville or escaped to Margaritaville back on Broadway after seeing King Kong. Do you think that's a that's a <laughs> something that'll be used in the? Uh... Maybe he just wants to drink heavily after at Margaritaville. Fair, after. very fair. All right. Uh, so, oh, the the show that has more lives than cats. The Yiddish <laughs> fiddler on the roof finds a new life. Yes, it does, James. Last night, Michael Riedel reported that the National Yiddish Theater Folksbane's revival of Fiddler on the Roof, of course, done completely in Yiddish, is going to move from the Museum of Jewish Heritage to Stage 42 off-Broadway. Mazel tov, but good luck. Um, the current multi-extended production will close as scheduled on December 30th before reopening in Midtown in January uh, the, the the phenomenal Hal Luftig is producing the commercial run and according to Riedel had wanted to move it to Broadway, which we talked about those rumors at one point. But there, as we talked about almost every day, there aren't any theaters available. So he's decided instead to move the show to the Schubert's off-Broadway house, which, if you remember correctly, really has never had a very good run of any shows there. And it's about 15 years off-Broadway. However, James, if people are willing to to schlep all the way to – where is the, the Museum of Jewish yeah, Heritage? Down, down in uh, lower east side of Manhattan. Yeah, if they're willing to go all the way down there to see this production, I would imagine that a theater-going crowd would be willing to go to Stage 42 uh, to see it. And I think that would open up a much bigger 
potential audience base there uh, and a much more maybe maybe tourist friendly audience base. So I have no idea if this will continue to run. It's run for, what, five, six months down at the Museum of Jewish History. But I, I think this is awesome. I Our Jewish heritage. Uh, I think this is awesome. I think it's super fun to, to see weird, not weird, but unique off the beaten path types of shows having so much success in the New York theater community. So stage 42 is where Smokey Joe's just uh, closed. Yes. So uh, do we think that this pushed it or? No, no, I think I think we had talked about for a while that the reviews for Smokey Joe's weren't yeah. very good and it wasn't selling super well. Um, so I, it'll be interesting to see if this does better. I mean, it's in an interesting area. I, I believe it's right next door to is it right next door to Theater Row? Yeah. yeah is yeah. that what's right uh-huh. next door? So I mean, yeah. it's in an Lincoln area with tunnel, a lot like a tunnel and it's a couple. It's right off of Times Square. It's a it's a yeah. great neighborhood and it's a beautiful theater. Uh but um, you know, it's it's large. It's it's it, it? compared to the uh, where they are right now. I think it's probably double the size. So, uh, I and you know, it's definitely a commercial space. So you're going to go from a nonprofit space to a commercial space, and hopefully, uh, they they feel it. So it you know, it had so many extensions and got such great reviews from Peter and Michael and generally everybody who saw it said it was just amazing. All right. So, uh, okay, Matt, what else do we have to talk about today? Okay. A number of pretty fun stories here, James, and they're, some are bigger than others. So if you want to, if you want to jump in on any of these things, let me know and we can talk about them. But last night, the London daily mails, Baz Bama boy reported that Renee Fleming, and Dove Cameron will both be making their London stage debuts in He Who Will Not Be Named The Light in the Piazza <laughs> so- beginning on beginning on June 14th of 2019. Uh, sorry, I can't bring it. Yeah. can't bring myself to say his yeah. name. The show will play the South Bank Center and will be directed by Daniel Evans and will feature a 40-piece orchestra. Fleming, who obviously recently finished a Tony-nominated run as Nettie Fowler in Carousel, will play Mother Margaret and Cameron, who is beginning uh, is getting ready to make her off-Broadway d- debut as Cher and Clueless, will be playing Clara. Uh, Clara. Um, this is really interesting, James. I've talked about on this show and many other shows that I think Dove Cameron is a musical theater star in the making. And now that she's kind of fulfilled many of her Disney related obligations and she's got some other movies coming out, it really seems like she's diving in to a stage career. So I'm, I'm super excited to hear about how this one uh, does. It does make me wonder, though, if there is any potential further life for Clueless, because I thought that if they're going to bring in a star of Dove Cameron's stature to do an off-Broadway musical, that certainly they'd have to have some plans for it elsewhere, even if the show itself doesn't sound like a Broadway-type property. Uh, but maybe it is just she she decided to do it to get her feet wet in the New York theater community, and it's going to keep trying to add things to her CV before uh, she eventually tries to take on even bigger projects down the, ro- the, down the road. But should be pretty interesting uh, production over there in London, James. I don't know if Lord Voldemort's uh, Light in the Piazza had <laughs> had ever played the West End before. Do you know if it has? I do not. I don't know off the top of my head. I, and to be honest with you, I don't know if the South Bank Center is technically in the West End either. That's true. Uh, That's true. Um, because it because the West End is is more of a location, yeah. as uh, you know, uh, as opposed to like Broadway, which is a a specifically designated group of theaters. Um, but either way, uh, this is 
cool. I mean, those are two pretty big names from two very different, um, you know, backgrounds coming from opera and the Disney channel, definitely bringing very different uh, audience members to see this show. But uh, it's a uh, light in the piazza is a very, uh, it's yes, a it's very a very legit, neat, show. very legit, serious show that it, they, I mean, they could legitimately use this as a, as a launching pad to transfer back to New York. Yeah. Um, uh, we haven't seen light in the piazza in 15 years 20 years maybe um and uh so interesting oh, and i'm very yeah. excited about it it's a you know i have a um i have mixed emotions about the writer <laughs> so <laughs> don't we all don't we all yeah it uh it was on broadway in 2005 so it's been about 13 years um it'll be 14 by the time this plays off uh in, in london but anyway it is not tech i don't believe it's technically a a, a west end theater either but Moving back to New York, yesterday the Public Theater announced the initial casting for the world premiere of Tim Blake Nelson's new play, Socrates. Directed by Doug Hughes, the cast will be led by the phenomenal Tony and Emmy and should have been Oscar-nominated actor Michael Stolbarg. Performances begin on April 2nd and are scheduled to run through May 19th. Next up on Thursday, Roundabout announced the cast for their upcoming production of Fiasco Theater Company's Merrily We Roll Along. The cast will be of course, made up by Fiasco Company members, uh, Jesse Austrian, Brittany Bradford, Paul L. Coffey, Manu Narayan, Ben Steinfeld, and Emily Young. Noah Brody from Fiasco will direct. And that's all well and good. I don't know who any of those people are, but I know Fiasco is fantastic. But for me, James, the, fa- the part of this that is the most exciting is that the person doing the music direction and orchestrations for this production of Mary Lee Roll Along will be none other than Alexander... Gemignani, mm. carrying on the family, family. tradition of uh, uh, of music directing and orchestrating Stephen Sondheim shows. Uh, I, I, I think we've talked about this before, that Gemignani, Alexander Gemignani, went from his Tony-nominated role in Carousel as Mr. Snow, and then like the Tuesday after the show closed, he was conducting Mean Girls on Broadway. It did that just I, I love him. He's fantastic. So that's so cool. So I'm excited to see what he does as a music director and orchestrator on this off Broadway show. Uh, uh, and I, finally, I, 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 uh, just to interrupt you for a second, did I mention that uh, Alexander's father, Paul Gemignani, um, uh, did a video with Kelly O'Hara singing uh, So in Love from Kiss Me Kate? I don't know if I mentioned that or so. We, we, <laughs> you know, another 3000 yeah. views. <laughs> Very well done. Very well done. Um, yeah. And of course, Paul Gimignani was, is one of the greatest music directors uh, and, and orchestrators in the world, has worked with Stephen Sondheim on many, if not all of his shows, including the original production of Merrily We Rule Along. So uh, very, uh, very much tied into the DNA of this show. But. Finally, yesterday, two off-Broadway shows announced extensions. First, Gloria, A Life, has extended through March 31st, starring Christine Lottie down at the Daryl Roth Theater. And Playwrights Horizons has extended the Thanksgiving play through December 2nd. If you would like more information on any or all of these stories, please check out the show notes at broadwayradio.com. All right, Matt, why don't you get us out of here? All right, thanks for listening to today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at BWW Matt. 
and my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for wrapping up the week with us, and uh, oh my goodness, it is that time. Uh, do we have anything in coming up for tomorrow? I know Sunday we have it this week on Broadway, all set for Michael and Peter, and I'll be back in the chair. Uh, and Matt and I will come back and talk with you on Monday. <laughs>